You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now a word from our sponsor, Netscope. Netscope is a worldwide leader in SASE and Zero Trust. Its unified platform, Netscope One, provides optimized access and zero trust security for people, devices, and data anywhere they go, helping customers reduce risk, accelerate performance, and get unrivaled visibility into any cloud, web, and private application activity. To learn more about how Netscope helps customers be ready for anything on their sassy journey, visit netskope.com. The internet has recovered from Friday's DDoS attacks on DNS provider Dyne, but its users are suffering from a significant hangover. No attribution, but the jester thinks he's, she's, or they're on the case. Observers see significant potential for more damaging IoT-based attacks to come, and Hal Martin's lawyer foreshadows his client's defense in the case of the top-secret collector's collection of top-secret documents. I'm Dave Bittner in Baltimore with your CyberWire summary for Monday, October 24, 2016. The Internet has largely recovered from Friday's very large denial-of-service attacks, but cyberspace and its inhabitants have clearly arrived at an inflection point as important as the revelation of Stuxnet or the defection of Edward Snowden. A botnet composed of hundreds of thousands of poorly secured devices took out large sections of the Internet in at least three continents, with effects felt worldwide. Thus, the Internet of Things has been effectively weaponized. The Sunday Times put it this way, quote, Hackers smell blood after co-opting the Internet of Things, end quote. Arriving in several waves throughout the day, the distributed denial-of-service attacks produced outages mostly in the United States, Western Europe, and Australia. DNS provider Dyne was the central point of attack, although Dyne itself may not have been the ultimate target. The effect of the attacks cascaded through many popular sites, rendering services including PayPal, SoundCloud, Spotify, Reddit, and Twitter temporarily inaccessible. The DDoS attack, called by many the largest on record, follows the template established by the September 20th attacks against Krebs on Security, in which the Mirai Trojan herded a large number of insecure Internet of Things devices into a botnet that flooded its target with more requests than the host could handle. The servers used as part of Dyn's enterprise offerings were especially targeted. The compromised devices include prominently security cameras and home routers, and it's thought that hundreds of thousands of these were used in the attack. Given that there are so many of these devices in the hands of small businesses and private users, and given that they tend to be poorly patched and protected, it's expected that mopping up the vulnerabilities could take years. Level 3 estimated that Mirai has infected at least 500,000 devices. ESET has also studied the problem using a sample of 12,000 Soho routers whose owners voluntarily participated. The Bratislava-based company found, as it told Softpedia, that 15% of the sample had weak passwords and 20% had open telnet ports, both of which are, to say the least, very bad practices indeed. One manufacturer of components used in DVRs and network security cameras says that its products were among those roped into Mirai's botnet. Hangzhou Shomai Technology said that vulnerabilities involving weak passwords in its devices were partially responsible for the disruption. 
It had issued firmware updates in 2015 and since then has asked customers to change default passwords, but the vulnerabilities persist in older unpatched devices and presumably also in those whose factory default passwords were left in place. No one yet knows who's responsible, but there's plenty of suspicion to go around, most of it centering on either hacktivists or Russian intelligence services. The WikiLeaks-friendly New World Hackers tweeted claims of responsibility for the attacks, but observers remain cautious about buying that attribution. It's possible this could have been hacktivism, given publication of Mirai source code in the wake of September's attacks. But it's also possible, as former NSA Director Keith Alexander speculated Saturday at SciCon US, that the operation was a test run by hostile security services interested in establishing a disruptive capability. Alexander said, quote, I can't think of any reason for doing what happened yesterday other than as a rehearsal, end quote. In any case, there's been no official attribution yet and no overt response beyond the mitigation steps taken to restore normal functionality. There has, however, been an apparent hacktivist response. Late Friday, an older but still accessible version of the Russian Foreign Ministry's homepage was defaced with the following text in English. Quote, Comrades, we interrupt regular scheduled Russian foreign affairs website programming to bring you the following important message. It doesn't matter whether it's you and China, you and North Korea, or you and some random group calling themselves New World Hacking. It's still a pathetic flex. Knock it off. You may be able to push around nations around you, but this is America. Nobody is impressed. Now get to your room before I lose my temper. End quote. This message was signed by an apparent hacktivist styling himself Jester. Jester, if in fact that's him or her or they, has hitherto been best known for defacing jihadist sites and has also been name-checked on Mr. Robot. The Russians aren't happy, even if it's an older site they say they no longer actively maintain, and have commented on Facebook to that effect. Their specialists are working on the hacks, as the foreign ministry, and if the Americans are behind it, quote, that would be far from pleasant, end quote. Vice President Biden is singled out for mention in dispatches with the suggestion that, even if this is mere patriotic hacktivism, the U.S. government would bear responsibility for inciting it, and putting in train a cyber machine of destruction. IoT-driven DDoS campaigns make for a depressing view of the near future. Someone has evidently devoted some thought about how to accomplish this on a large scale. Security expert Bruce Schneier warned last month that, quote, somebody is learning how to take down the Internet, end quote, as he put it in a September 13th blog post, quote, over the past year or two, someone has been probing the defenses of the companies that run critical pieces of the Internet. These probes take the form of precisely calibrated attacks designed to determine exactly how well these companies can defend themselves and what would be required to take them down. We don't know who is doing this, but it feels like a large nation-state. China or Russia would be my first guesses, end quote. The economic consequences of the interruptions were far from trivial, even over this relatively short span of time. For small businesses who, in a normal day, might make half a dozen online sales using PayPal, the outage hurts. The Sydney Morning Herald notes several of the businesses who lost revenue in Australia during the disruption. They included Ticketmaster, Woolworths, and several banks. Many observers note the potential for far more serious harm. And finally, turning from Mirai to legal matters closer to home, Hal Martin, the former NSA contractor accused of removing classified material to his house in a Baltimore suburb, 
foreshadowed one aspect of his defense Friday. There is nothing to indicate that Hal Martin is a traitor, his lawyer told the magistrate who ruled that Mr. Martin would be held in jail pending trial. Instead, he's a, quote, voracious learner committed to being excellent at his work, end quote, which efforts at self-betterment and professional advancement led him to bring stuff home to get better at his job. Quote, what we see is an individual who is a collector, end quote. That's certainly one way of looking at it. But kids, and we know there are kids out there, since Admiral Rogers told us during Cyber Maryland last week that he had a bunch of you interning for him at NSA. Please, don't try this at home. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. Joining me once again is Dr. Charles Clancy. He's the director of the Hume Center for National Security and Technology at Virginia Tech. Uh, Dr. Clancy, there seems like uh, there's some progress being made when it comes to quantum computing, and that could uh, lead to some troubles with encryption. Uh, Certainly. uh, With the introduction of Shor's uh, algorithm uh, several years ago, uh, there was the path uh, such that if a quantum computer were fully realized, that uh, encryption standards such as RSA that are based on the difficulty of, of factoring a large composite number into the product of two primes uh, could be exploited in a faster than exponential uh, complexity. Uh, this means that uh, many of the encryption algorithms that we rely on today on the internet would be vulnerable uh, to exploitation and could be uh, the keys could be cracked and uh, data could be decrypted. Um, so this has been sort of a, a concern that's been on the back burner for the last, I don't know, probably 15 years, um, ever since IBM first demonstrated uh, an implementation of Shor's algorithm that factored the number 15 into the, the primes 3 and 5. Mm-hmm. Uh, but given the sort of slow uh, progress made in quantum, it hasn't, hasn't really been a primary issue. 
But in the last two or three years, uh, the whole area of quantum has really begun to pick up steam, and so it sort of renewed the concerns. So have we seen a shift of people moving towards post-quantum encryption now? Uh, indeed, there are a number of post-quantum encryption algorithms that are being developed. Uh, we have the uh, notion of quantum key distribution, uh, but there are deployment challenges there, uh, particularly you need to pass individual photons of light between a source and a destination, and uh, the current telecommunications infrastructure of, of much of the world isn't well suited for doing things like that. Uh, but I think we've got a little bit of time before we need to worry too much about it. Um, IBM has recently come out saying that uh, they believe they can build a, uh, a 50 to 100 qubit uh, quantum computer that operates in a general purpose capacity uh, in the next decade. And uh, in order to really have a chance at, at implementing Shor's algorithm, we need something that's got more in the four to 5,000 qubit uh, stage, which is probably uh, still quite a ways away in terms of, of actual physical realization. Another important distinction to understand is uh, there is a, another product on the market, uh, the D-Wave platform, which is a quantum annealing machine uh, that will be coming out with their 2,000 qubit uh, system this, this next year. And that has lots of really interesting applications in, uh, in the machine learning domain, among others, uh, but it's really not designed to, uh, to do Shor's algorithm. In fact, researchers have shown that uh, it, implementations of Shor's algorithm on the D-Wave platform do not achieve a quantum speed-up. They still exist in this exponential regime, and therefore uh, algorithms such as RSA will not be affected. Um, so while there are these, these new machines coming out that uh, appear to have lots of qubits, uh, they're not designed to tackle uh, problems uh, such as, as uh, encryption and the ones that would be capable of uh, that are still uh, pretty far out in terms of uh, their viability. Dr. Charles Clancy, thanks for joining us. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. We are proudly produced in Maryland by our talented team of editors and producers. I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. Rick here. At N2K CyberWire, we're dedicated to continuously improving the quality of the news and commentary on our network. That's why we're inviting you to participate in our 2024 audience survey. It only takes a few minutes and your feedback is invaluable. Plus, you'll have the chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card as a thank you for your time. Head on over to cyberwire.com survey. That's cyberwire.com survey to share your feedback now. And now a word from our sponsor, SpyCloud 
the leader in operationalizing cybercrime analytics. Traditional threat intelligence is a thing of the past. Cybercriminals are stealing vast amounts of credentials, session cookies, and financial data every day, and it's hard to keep up. SpyCloud is the trusted partner businesses turn to to fully understand their darknet exposure risk and neutralize threats before it's too late. SpyCloud alerts your organization as soon as an employee or customer's data appears on the darknet, so you can act faster than bad actors to prevent cyber attacks like ransomware, session hijacking, account takeover, and online fraud. With insights from the industry's largest repository of recaptured data, protect the digital identities and systems most important to your business. Get your free corporate darknet exposure report at spycloud.com slash cyberwire and see what information criminals have in their hands today. That's spycloud.com slash cyberwire. Cyberwire. 